broken and his fortune was gone. His family was dependent on him and he didn't know what to do. He was really desperate and in his darkest hours of life. And then he received a, a letter from the most prominent bank in the area. It was the Rothschild House in Frankfurt. The letter summoned him to the bank for an important interview. He didn't know why. He was escorted not just into a bank or into an office, but into the very owner's office, Rothschild himself, and was very kindly greeted. At first, he did not realize this, but the world-famous banker was the same Rothschild he gave the small business loan to some 50 years previous. And Rothschild pulled out a checkbook and wrote him a check for several hundred thousand dollars and said, I have sent for you to pay you the dividends on the stock you entrusted to my banking nearly 50 years ago. And the old man, seeing the size of the check, even though he was financially desperate, said, I can't, I cannot receive a gift like this. And Rothschild replied, it's not a gift. It's just the actual profit on the money you gave me, wisely turned over a great many times. That is a great illustration of what we're going to be learning in the text before us in Luke's chapter 6, as Luke continues to tell us about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's a text which we have been eking our way through, and this morning we come to the last two of eight illustrations and a summary illustration Jesus gives on how to apply the golden rule. We learned in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 23, four beatitudes, that is, characteristics or qualities that are true of those who have God's saving grace working in their life. These were followed by four woes, that is, four characteristics or experiences that those who are destined for damnation have in their life. Then in verse 27, we have this word, but... But I say to you, where Jesus now switches back, he's talked about believers, he's talked about unbelievers, now he says, but, in verse 27, in contrast to these who are headed for damnation, I say to you who hear, not to you who are here, but to you who have the enabling uh, work of illumination of the Holy Spirit working in your life, I say to you believers, so now he's back to believers, some other things. Now, the things that Jesus says in verses 27 and following are all about applying a central concept, a central thought. And it all stems back to verses 22 and 23, if you look there. The last of the four Beatitudes was, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Now, when you think about the four Beatitudes, being poor in spirit, and that is realizing your own spiritual bankruptcy, you know, that's pretty easy to deal with. I mean, you just realize it. You cry out to God for mercy and he extends mercy to you. Um, hungering and for righteousness is another one that isn't too difficult. I mean, you, you just do. Once you become saved, you hunger for righteousness. It's just a reality and you, then you feed it with the word and good teaching. And weeping over the realization that you are a desperate sinner, realizing you are a sinner, that you have offended a holy God, is another thing that just it, it happens when you're a believer. And so you confess your sins, you, you turn from them, and you keep pursuing righteousness, and that's a normal experience. But this last beatitude, this one about being blessed when you're hated and scorned and ostracized and treated evil by evil men, that one is hard to deal with. Especially when you're an American and you have rights. I mean, we all think that we have all rights. But really, if you're a Christian and an American, your first rights 
are to submit to not the government and the human institutions which allow you to do things, but to God himself, for he is higher than our government. And when you think about it, Jesus, by his death, purchased us. You are no longer your own, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, but you have been bought with a prize, therefore glorify God in your body. You are to realize that God owns you. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You're a representative for Christ. You are his slave. You are his servant. You are his soldier. And all those other metaphors that are used to describe Christians. And because he owns you, because he purchased you with his precious blood, he has the right to tell you to do whatever he wants you to do. Because what is at stake that Jesus is just driving at in the Sermon on the Mount here, what's permeating the whole sermon You might think it's be holy, like God is holy, and that's true, but there was a reason. And the reason is, is so you, as a believer, can impact the world for Christ and give God glory. And as you live for Christ, and as you display Christ-like character, it is then and only then that you are a good witness, a good minister, a good ambassador, a good slave, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And if you live a godly life and respond to persecution and trial in a godly way, you show the world what Christ is like. You are a witness to the world of what it means to be Christ-like. Of course, the opposite is true also. And this is what Jesus is teaching against. You know, you go out in the world... You call yourself a Christian, people know you go to church, you say you believe the Bible, and then you don't live what the Bible teaches, now what happens? Everybody realizes you're a hypocrites, Greek for hypocrite. Everybody knows that you are two-faced, and now, instead of bringing honor to Christ, and glorifying Christ, and honoring Him, and giving yourself an opportunity to share the gospel through your changed life, you are now repelling people from Jesus. You are making them think to themselves, well, I would never want to be one of those hypocritical Christians. And this is exactly what was happening at the time. The Pharisees who claimed to believe the law of Moses, who were just fanatics about the law of Moses and the other Jewish leaders, most of them had fallen into this dead, cold religion. And they were teaching that merely externals with no heart for God and they were ruthless. They were oppressing the poor. They were, you know, using the law to feed their own lusts. And so Jesus is just totally blowing this away with some hyperbolic statements. And we've talked about hyperbole is to exaggerate a point and you exaggerate a point in order to shock people with a principle or truth. The people have been trained over here under the Jewish leaders and Pharisees in the wrong way. And so Jesus, by making these series of hyperbolic statements like gouge out your eye and throw it far from you, is trying to shock them and jerk them back to the place where they should be, back to the true intent of the law of Moses. And so as we go to the text here, we have learned that verse 31 is the central verse of this section where it says, treat others in the same way you want them to treat you, which of course we know as the golden rule, or we might call it the rule of love. And in verses 27 and following, Jesus is explaining in detail what it means to live out the golden rule As Christians who are being persecuted or suffering trial or mishap or unkindness by the world. He's going back to that last beatitude. The last blessed are you when men insult you and ostracize you and scorn you on account of me. He wants to explain in more detail how you and I as believers in the world can actually live out this golden rule in the face of men who hate us and want to do us harm because we're godly. So we've already looked at the first six exhortations. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, whoever hits you in the cheek, offer him the other also, and whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. And now we come to the last two of the eight illustrations, all found in commands, starting in verse 30, and then we find this summary statement in verse 31, the golden rule. So if you have your Bible, look at verse 27 and follow along. I'm just going to read down through verse 31. 
Jesus says, but I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also, whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either, give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes what is yours, do not demand it back, treat others in the same way you want them to treat you. So from these two verses, verses 30 and 31, Um, We are going to be given the last two illustrations in the form of commands and how to live out the golden rule. And then we're giving the golden rule itself, which is kind of a summary statement of everything Jesus is saying, both before and after, as we will see in the weeks to come. And he is doing this so that all of us will learn how to be good representatives of Christ on earth to both give God glory and to get opportunities to share the gospel. We have looked at several instances in the past and I've given several examples of how people's godliness has been used by the Lord in great ways to influence unbelievers for Jesus. Ungodliness merely repels them. So the first thing we see in verse 30 is be generous, not greedy or covetous. The seventh command is give to everyone who asks of you. And the word give means just that. It's a command. And all of these are exactly the same. There's a command and then there's followed by an active participle. Everyone who keeps on asking. And so Jesus is you know, making this exaggerated statement. And at first glance, it makes it seem like Jesus is saying, be plundered for Jesus. You know, everybody comes up, I want your car. Okay, I want your shirt. Give it to me. Okay, give me your house. All right, here's the deed. You know, yeah, well, I want this. I want this. A gift, a gift. And somebody else, you know, do this. Say, here, carry my books. Here, dig this hole for me. Hey, go to work for me. Hey, give me all your money. You know, it just seems like, you know, you're just plundered for Jesus. And we have to stop. We have to look at the context. And when we compare what is going on, we realize that Luke's sermon and Matthew's sermon and Mark's account of the Sermon on the Mount are shortened. And each of them give us different details, but Jesus didn't preach a 15-minute sermon. He preached for a long time, and then these men are extracting little truths. So when you read this, and you read all of these short, terse, you know, hyperbolic statements, it seems at first to just be something you could never do. But when you do a little of investigation, you find out that Jesus isn't asking anything unreasonable. He is just asking those people who were listening to him to obey what the Old Testament law of Moses taught. Now look at verse 30. And you notice the text says, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Also verse 35, if you look there. Um, oh, actually, that was verse 34. Verse 35 says, lend expecting nothing in return. Now, these two texts are referring back to what we're looking at in verse 30. So Jesus says, give to everyone who asks, and then he goes on to explain it as lending to those who are in need. Let me just give you a little test to see if you've been brainwashed or not. And here's the test. When you go to a bank and you ask for a loan and they give it to you, are they doing you a favor? No. They would be doing you a favor if they gave you a loan with no interest or if they just gave you the money. That would be a kind, gracious thing. But to say, oh, you want to borrow $1,000, we want to charge you interest so that you can give us $2,500 back. That is not doing you a favor. You're doing them a favor. When you go get a loan from a bank, you're doing them a favor. You're keeping those people driving around in their Mercedes. The same thing if you apply for a credit card and you want to use a credit card. Hey, They aren't doing you a favor by giving you that little shiny piece of plastic. You're doing them a favor. You ever seen the credit card buildings in big cities? They're huge. They get those buildings because they're, quote, doing you a favor. No, because you're doing them a favor. Now, you have to keep that in mind. What Jesus is talking about here is not taking advantage of poor people who ask you to give to them. That's what he's talking about. And he's referring back to 
a common Old Testament teaching. For instance, Exodus 22:25 says, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. Now, what do poor people do? They have needs. They come to people who have means and they say, what will you give me a loan? Okay, because I'm I'm poor. I'm destitute. And the law taught in Exodus 22, don't charge interest to your countrymen. That is to fellow Jews. Leviticus 25, 35 through 37 says, now in a case, a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter. Okay, now we have a poor man and now the poor man falters. That is, he cannot pay back what he has borrowed then you are to sustain him. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. Deuteronomy 23, 19 through 23 gives a little bit more detail when it says you shall not charge interest to your countrymen, interest on money, food, or anything that may belong, may be loaned at, at interest. You may charge interest to a foreigner, but to your countrymen, you shall not charge interest so that the Lord, your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land, which you are about to enter to possess. So all of these verses teach this. You have somebody who is in need, not want, and this person is poor, not just wanting more stuff and this person comes to you you are to help that person out you are to not charge him interest now if he's a foreigner he's an idol worshiping pagan that god's going to wipe out anyways yes you could charge interest to that person but when it comes to a fellow countryman you are not to do that and that's what the law taught it is not loving, it is not compassionate, it is not kind when somebody, because of misfortune, sickness, accident, you know, just financial woe, plunge in the stock market, whatever, has now found themselves destitute and poor and in need of the basic necessities of life. For you to go to that person and say, hey, this person's desperate, I could use this to my advantage and now you're taking up advantage you're oppressing the poor and that's what jesus is talking about when he says give to whoever asks he's saying when somebody has a need and they come and they ask and we know that because it talks about lending in verses 34 and 35 referring back to that now in our society people get into debt who are not poor they just merely want more of the world's stuff. This is a totally different thing. This is not what Jesus is talking about. You know, you want that 50-inch plasma TV. And you've gone down there and you've looked at that thing and you just think, I need this. Not. And I want this, okay? And then you decide that it would be better to have it right now with interest so instead of paying 5000 for it, you pay 10000 Then to wait and save up and pay 5000 for it later. Now, that's not what Jesus is talking about, that it's wrong for somebody to charge you interest because you have an indulgence you want to satisfy, and so you go do it. That is a whole... That, you know, requires a whole other sermon or three um, to talk about the wisdom of that action. But... It's been common throughout history in New Testament times and Old Testament times and in our day, for instance, farmers to have to take out loans. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You don't know the weather. You don't know what's going to happen with your crops. And so you do your best. You know, you think, okay, I'm going to plant this and hopefully it's going to work right. And you try and plant it just the right day. And then the frost comes and kills it all off and you have to replant. And you need to take out another loan. And then the, you know, the locusts come or whatever. You know, there's things that happen. And you may take out a loan and you may have a good crop and be able to pay it all back and then have some extra for yourself and for a seed for the next year. Great. Or what may happen is, is you may take out a loan and just have total crop failure because of things that are totally out of your control and have to go borrow on top of what you already borrowed. You would be in need. 
And Jesus's point here is, listen, when somebody gets into the place where they're desperate and they're needy and they ask you to give, give to them if you have the means. And don't use it as an opportunity. This guy's in trouble. I can get him. I can gouge him. Because now, you know, he's desperate. And so I'll come into my lair. You know, for 38% interest. No, no, that's, that's what Jesus is teaching against here. Keep in mind, though, that when the text says, you know, give to everyone who asks of you, um, Jesus isn't, you know, saying be plundered by everyone who asks you. There are some things you can't give. A husband cannot, you know, give his wife to another man. Uh, You can't be an employee and give what belongs to your company to somebody else. That would be stealing or that would be adultery. You can't give what belongs to the Lord to anything. You can't worship anything else, anybody else. You can't uh, give to somebody um, anything that might cause you to sin against God or uh, cause you to default on a loan. You know, the elders up here, you know, we've got a condemned building or whatever. We need to, you know, build another building. And so you think, well, I'm not going to pay my mortgage or my car payment, you know, so I can give to the building fund. No, you can't do that. That would be sinful. You have to meet your obligations. And so we talked about this before, and I want to stress it again, that when Jesus is making these statements, he's not overturning anything in the scriptures. He's not overriding any other scriptures. He's not contradicting himself or the teachings of any other scriptures. And so we need to keep this in mind as we're going through here. Jesus is not saying that every wicked person plunder you at will. He is saying, be gracious and generous to needy people who ask you for help and don't use their poverty and their misfortune as a means to abuse them. And we could go in the scriptures, the Old Testament, and find examples when they did just that and we don't have time. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke fourteen thirty three when he talked about the cost of discipleship? He said that none of you can be my disciple unless he gives up all his own possessions. Another hyperbolic statement. All your clothes, everything, shoes, everything, nothing. You can just, you know, vow of poverty. Is that what he's teaching? No. But you know, some people have taught that. That, you know, God wants you poor and humbled, you know, walking around in ragged clothes that are really on loan from someone else because they aren't yours. And you beg from house to house and, you know, you're just poor and destitute. I'm telling you, there's been a lot of monks who have taken this verse literally and saying, hey, you know, I'm just giving up everything. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is you need to be willing to give up everything to follow me. We read in Hebrews where the Hebrews joyfully received the seizure of their property and all their possessions because when they became Christians, Rome started persecuting Christians and they lost every single thing they had. And they received it with joy. When you follow Christ, you need to be willing to walk away from everything. From friends, from family, from daughters, from sons, from everything to follow him. That's what he's talking about. Now, does that mean God you know, is going to ask that of you? No, but you need to be willing. He may ask it. And I want you to know there are Christians all over the world today in different parts of the world who are giving up everything they're having their family members killed their churches burnt down their possessions taken away because they are christians and that's and nothing more than that and there is this attitude around some who think that their stuff and their things are far more important than being an example and a witness for jesus christ and giving him honor we need to keep in our mind and when we're thinking about your gifts your time your finances, your resources, you know, all your stuff. You need to keep that in the mental box of belonging to the Lord, not me. That I'm just a steward of what God has given me. And as a steward of God, I am to give God glory by that which he entrusts me with. And so when a need comes along, your first thought should be, Lord, what do you want me to do with the things that you have given me? Not, eh, I don't want to give up my stuff. And this is mine. Again, you cannot sin in order to give. 
Jesus isn't saying the only wise thing to do is just give to everyone we ask, whenever they ask, whatever they ask. And don't think, don't look at any of the scriptures, disregard any truths. If they ask, just give it to them. If that was true, everybody would find out and Christians would all be poor all over the world. A good portion of Proverbs is directed at this. Turn to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs chapter 19. I just want to point out a few texts and we'll make some comments on them. Proverbs 19, verse 6. In Proverbs 19, verse 6, these are other principles that Jesus is not overturning. These are bits of wisdom derived from the law, applied to life. Proverbs 19, 6, many will seek the favor of a generous man, and every man is a friend of him who gives gifts. And I want you to know, there's only one way to be generous, and that's if you have something to be generous with. You can only receive a gift if somebody has a gift to give you. And the only reason you get gifts is because you work hard to earn them. Jesus isn't saying being poor. The richer you are, the more generous you can be. I think it was A.B. Simpson who said, or somebody, maybe it was Moody, but he said, work as hard as you can, make as much money as you can, so you can give as much as you can. That was, it's a good advice. Yeah. Yeah, you be generous. Look at Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. That's such a great text. There are some people who are sluggardly. They're just lazy. And it puts them to death. Their hands refuse to do work. It's not that they can't do work. They won't do work. They refuse to do work. But yet all day they are craving. And you know what? They're often craving and they go around and they're asking other people to give them things. He describes in contrast with that wicked sort of behavior, the sluggardly behavior, verse 26, about the righteous who gives and does not hold back. Well, the reason the righteous can give and the the reason the righteous does not have to hold back is because the righteous works diligently to earn enough, not only for himself, but to help others. Paul, when talking to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. You hear that? There is a huge difference between being poor and being lazy. And you must distinguish that. Never think of somebody on the street as being poor necessarily. They may be poor but they may be sluggardly, and the two are radically different. Usually, in the bulk of cases, those who are on the street choose to be on the street because they refuse to do work. And when Jesus and the scriptures talk about this, they say, if you have somebody who is unwilling to work, do not support them in their laziness. Let them get so hungry that they're willing to start working again. Let them suffer the consequences of their own laziness. Many Christians had missed the vital point between poor and sluggardly. And so they have taken resources and give them to people who are lazy and sluggardly, and those people then just absorb the resources and continue to be lazy and sluggardly. You aren't helping them. The poor are those who work hard, but because of circumstances, sickness, trial, catastrophe, whatever, they have things come upon them that they have no control over, and now they find themselves desperate and in need. They're not lazy. They just can't make it, and they need help. And these are the kinds of people that Jesus is talking about in the text before us that we need to be giving to. It's good and right for each person to labor and work for their own sustenance. It is wrong to support somebody who is lazy. Those people need to just get hungry and then get a job. Proverbs 22.9 says, He who is generous will be blessed for he gives some of his food to the poor. Not all of his food. He doesn't neglect his family, but he gives some to the poor. Not the lazy, but the poor. 
Proverbs 22.16, if you look there, says, He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. There are some people who only want to loan, who only want to give, who only want to be generous in order to make more money for themselves. This is the, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. You know, I'll do something for you since you can't reach that spot in the middle of your back and it's itching. I'll scratch it for you, but then you've got to do mine. See, this is not... What Jesus wants us to do. Jesus wants us to say, oh, the guy's got a scratch. And there you go, bud. To just scratch, period. To not take people because they have a need and then use them. Proverbs 22, verse 26, if you look there, says, Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should you take your... Why should he take your bed from under you? You know, you know this story. Somebody's out there in the business world. Somebody out there has been unfaithful, unresponsible, has not paid their debts, has fallen behind, has lost everything, has shot their name. They're, the creditors all know this person's unreliable. And then the guy wants a loan. So what does he do? He goes to you and say, hey, will you co-sign for me so I can take out a loan in your name? I can put your name and your things or your finances in jeopardy. The scriptures say, do not do that. Do not do that. Do not take out, be a guarantor for somebody who has proven to be unfaithful. Don't do that. Why? Because they may take everything you have. You put all your stuff on the line for somebody who's unfaithful. That's just foolish. People need to suffer the consequences of their bad credit. Now, that doesn't mean you can't help them and just give them the money. But don't be, you know, putting your bed, your your essence, your family on the line for someone else's irresponsibility. You know, let's say you have a son or a daughter and they need to establish credit. And of course, you know, a lot of times now you can't, you know, get a loan unless you have credit. And then you wonder, how does that work? I always wondered that. How can I get a loan if I need to have the history of repaying a loan before I can get a loan? There is a problem there. And so then you go to your parents or some friend comes to you and says, hey, you know, and this person's faithful and you know them, they're faithful. Then in that case, you might be a guarantor, but just want you to know, if you are, be ready to absorb the full brunt of their fault if they don't go through. Without complaint. And just take the hit for them. Take the hit. If you're going to be a guarantor for a loan, be willing to do it, but don't put your family, your sustenance, or any other commitments on the line to help them. If you have the means, it's just better to just help them out. Help them out. You remember the story that Jesus taught in Matthew 18 when Jesus or Peter said to Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus said, well, forgive him 70 times seven, right? And then he told the parable of these two debtors. The, the one slave came to the king and said, yeah, you know, he owed 10,000 talents, which is, you know, so much money you could, you have to live 10,000 years to pay it off. Um, you know, he came and said, oh, please, I beg you, because he was going to throw him in, into prison and he begged and said okay I forgive you your debt and then that guy who had been forgiven a huge debt went out started choking his friend who owed him a few pittance and give me that money and then he had his friend who owed him a little bit of money thrown into the prison and when the slaves found out they told the Lord and the Lord brought him up here and said hey pal what are you doing I forgave you a debt so huge, you could never pay it back. And then, did you learn from me in my example? No. What you did is you went out and you choked your friend, had him thrown into prison, and he only owed you a tiny bit. And of course, the whole point is, is about forgiveness, but the financial thing is, it ties right into our text in this way. All of us need to keep in mind that we deserve hell. That would be just. And that everything we have belongs to the Lord and we are stewards of that. And so when people have needs, we need to 
help them, not use them, but help them. Proverbs 25 verses 21 through 22 has basically the idea that Jesus is teaching in our text. It says this, verse 21 of Proverbs 25. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Now, some people have just had a hard time with this burning coal thing. You know, some people say, well, what happened here is, uh, is uh, you know, sometimes people's fires would go out and, and you know, you, they would need some coals to get their fire going. And so they would put in a little fire pan and, you know, you would carry it on your head over their place and give it to them. And this would be, a, you know, a really good thing to help them out. And, you know, as they carried this fire back to their tent, to, no. Listen, people back then could start fires. I mean, to you, if we sent you out in the woods and said, start a fire, you might go, uh, uh, you know, that might be a problem. But uh, have you ever taken Boy Scout trainings and you've got a piece of flint, which is all over the ground and a piece of steel and, you know, something flammable, you can start a fire pretty easy. People back then started fires quite easily. It wasn't a big deal to give somebody some coals. Okay. Other people said, no, no, this refers to an ancient Egyptian custom when somebody was caught and that person was caught and um, they were discovered to have done some evil deed. When they repented and were contrite, they would publicly show their contrition and their penance by getting hot coals and carrying them around on their head to show everybody that they were so sorry for what they had done. Well, that could be too. But I think what, what the text is just saying is just giving a figure of speech because you and I both know what happens when you do evil to somebody and they do you good. Doesn't that just kill you? I mean, you get all snippy and all of a sudden they're just, they're kind and gracious and it's just, ugh. It just heaps burning conviction upon you. And this is what Jesus is driving at. He's just saying, you know, do good to those people. When they ask, do good to them. And this proverb is just saying, listen, you know, when somebody comes to you and they take out a loan and they do evil to you, you know, give to them. And even though they're your enemy, which implies that before they have acted unkindly towards you, right? This is just what we're talking about. And we've looked at this in weeks past. They're unkind to you. They're doing unkind. So now you're going to give them a loan. And what's that going to do? That's going to bring huge conviction upon them. And that might be the very thing God uses to bring them to repentance. And that's why we need to do it. Because it is otherworldly. It is so not like the people of the world. And that's what we need to be like. Unworldly. We have a ministry we support called Hope Again. And if you've ever been down there, um, Hope Again is just right down there in the inner city, right there on, you know, Sunset Boulevard, right there where, you know, the busloads of prostitutes are let out of jail and they kick them out of the door and say, go there for help, for Hope Again. And you know what? Hope Again isn't about giving handouts. They don't just say, oh, here's stuff here, that's it. They're about helping people, helping people with needs. How do you help somebody like that? You know, somebody who's been living on the street, somebody who's been in prostitution, somebody who just got out of jail. How do you help somebody like that? Well, it's not just by giving them money and saying, be warm and filled. That doesn't work with them. I mean, that's why they're where they're at. They don't know how to function. So you bring them in. Their first and greatest need is what? Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't help you if you're driving a Mercedes and you're a billionaire on your way to hell. Or whether you're on the street, you go there the same way by not knowing Christ. And so, yeah, you give the gospel, but not only that, you say, okay, let's get you something to eat now, let's talk. Let's talk about getting your life together. And this is what you need to do. This is what we can help you with. We're willing to do this if you're willing to do that. If you're willing to put some effort, work, and submit to our Guidance, we are willing to help you learn how to have a normal life, how to take care of yourself, support yourself, get an education, have a job. And so we support a ministry like that. So one of the ways you could apply this text is to go there and help. You can serve there, you can volunteer, you can give there, you can be a counselor there. 
that's just one way of helping these needy people. Because, you know, face it, most of us, you know, we have a need, you know, and we can't afford our jet ski payment. You know, it's like, oh, no, I've lost my job. I don't want to have to sell my motorhome. Sell it. That is not a need when you can't make your house payment on your million-dollar house because you don't want to take out any of the equity or whatever. So Jesus is saying there are people who are poor, who are in need, who are going to come to you and going to ask. You can loan them things. Now, we all know what happens whenever you loan things. Sometimes I loan books to people and they never return. So I know that when somebody says, hey, can I borrow a book? My first thought is, oh, (laughs) am I willing to give up my book, my friend? My books are friends. And if it's some old, wonderful book, I say, no way. Go ask Don for his or whatever, Uh, his newer version. But I realize that, hey, there's been a lot of books. I've been, I don't remember who borrows my books. They just go and then I have a hole there next time I need them. So I go buy them again. I just realized, hey, somebody's going to use them. I want them. Now, you know, it would bother me if they put them on the shelf, but that's their problem before the Lord. The whole point is, is when you loan things to people, there you're opening yourself up for the guy not giving you back what you loaned them. You know, here's my tool and it comes back all broken. You know, here's my whatever and it never comes back. Okay, that happens, right? And that's why Jesus says what he does in the eighth command found in the end of verse 30. Look there. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Now, this right here is referring to what is said earlier in the verse about giving. Somebody comes and asks you for things and so you give. They're poor. They're in need. They have a legitimate need. You give to them. You loan them things, but they don't pay back. They have taken away what is yours And what does Jesus say? Don't demand it back, which implies they borrowed it from you. It used to be yours. Now it's theirs. And they never paid it back. Just like in the story of the old man that I read earlier who gave the small loan out to Rothschild. And then that was it. It was gone. He moved away. 50 years passed. And he thought, oh, it's lost. Jesus again makes this hyperbolic statement that whoever keeps taking away what is yours, do not ask for it back or keep on not asking for it back. In other words, you know, somebody comes, they're in need, you, you give them a loan, they don't pay back. Somebody's come in need. And I'm not talking about want here. I'm talking about need. I mean, I know this is America. We have want and need totally distorted. I'm talking about food and clothing and basic survival stuff. So when this happens, sometimes people default They take what is yours and they don't give it back. And Jesus says, listen, don't demand it back. And this poor man, some farmer comes, he needs money for seed and he's working his tail off and he's trying to get it all together and he has another crop failure. You don't go over there and say, I want your land and I'm going to enslave your family. You know, I want that, your favorite, you know, hunting spear. You don't, you don't plunder him. Because he owes you stuff. That would be wrong to do. You'd be taking advantage of the poor man. We need to be like Job who, when he lost everything, said, Naked I came into the world. Naked I I will leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He lost his family. He lost his possessions. He lost his health. He lost his reputation. He lost everything. But he realized that those things were not important. What was important, that he had a right relationship with God. And so he maintained that right relationship. Jesus just saying, don't lose your sanctification over stuff. Don't go there. You know, you loan somebody to something. I was just talking to some friends who were visiting. Uh, he does painting, and I used to paint in seminary. You know, somebody says, yeah, can I borrow one of your brushes? And you've got this really nice $20 brush. Uh, yeah. Clean it out good. Okay, it comes back like a board. Throw it in the trash. You know, it's like, hey, you're going to realize that when you, you know, you, then you keep that board one for, yeah, and you give it to the next person who has it. 
If you can make it limber again, you can use it. Um, but yeah, you know, this is what you know. You're going to give them your paintbrush and it may come back stiff. And that's just the way it is. You know, you realize I'm doing this, but you don't lose your sanctification. You wrecked my paintbrush. And all of a sudden now you've ruined your witness for Christ and you've, you're, you're losing your sanctification over what? A paintbrush. I mean, I, I just have news for you. I don't care how much you have. It's all going to burn anyways. So you might as well get, get on it in this life using what God has given you for his glory and to bring other people to Christ and to bless them because I'm telling you, it's all going to be burned up. And then what are you going to do? When we get to heaven, everybody's going to own just as much as you. Third, obey the golden rule. Jesus then gives a summary command which encompasses what comes before and after verse 31. Treat others in the same way you want them to treat you. Remember the first exhortation was love your enemies. The last exhortation, treat others in the same way you want them to treat you. And this is the golden rule and it's basically saying the same thing. They're synonyms. And it comes from Leviticus 19.18, which says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do you do that? You treat them as you would have them what? Treat you. That is the golden rule. Leviticus 19.18. So loving your neighbor as yourself is to do to them what you would have them to do to you. So how do you apply this? I mean, how do you apply? This is such a good little phrase. The golden rule has been so popular and you teach it to kids because it is, it's kind of like, what would Jesus do type of a thing? How would I want somebody else to help me? I mean, let's just talk about um, somebody. Let's say you encounter somebody who, who wants money and you know, I just got a few bucks for some food. Okay, you want to help that person. You don't know the guy. He kind of smells like alcohol. So you say, well, okay. I will help you out. Let's go to McDonald's or the place across the way and I'll buy you something to eat. And then you usually hear this. No, I don't want to inconvenience you. Just give me the cash. <laughs> yeah. See, they're, they're not looking for food. They're just looking for some more booze or drugs or whatever. And you have to use wisdom here. I mean, don't, Jesus isn't saying, you know, check your brain out when people want to borrow from you or take from you. You have to apply all the scriptures at the same time. And Jesus is just teaching a little, a little portion. You can't just, you know, forget your brain. No, you do something like this. So, can I get you a meal? Sure. You go over there, say, okay, I'll buy you a meal if you listen to me. <laughs> this is going to be your labor. And then you know what to tell them. As they're eating, you tell them about Jesus. And then you say, hey, how did you get here? You find out about there. You say, you know what? We support a ministry. We support a Hope Again ministry that can help you. I mean, you may not know how to help somebody in that situation. You may not know what's available. But we support a ministry. And you can support a ministry. I mean, you do if you give to this church. And they help people who are in need. And you can find out how to help them too, either directly or indirectly by giving or praying or volunteering because they need a lot of things, canned goods, clothes. You know, whenever you have clothes, no, just throw them away. I mean, they need them there. You know, you're eating too much and pretty soon your 34s don't work anymore. <laughs> people on the street, man, they need 32s. Um, 34s would work. So you could say, well, you know, Give them some bus tokens. Give them a ride down there. Give them the number. Hook them up. Give them some help. Why? Because people who have not learned how to take care of themselves, who have, who have not learned how to be responsible, to have a good work ethic, they can learn that, but they, it just needs to happen over a period of time. And there's a lot of ways that can bring them to that place, but it doesn't just help them to just say, here's some money and get out of my hair so I don't have to deal with you. I'd be like the guy, the good Samaritan, you know, he sees the guy mugs on the road and pulls out his wallet and throws some cash at him and walks by. There. That doesn't help the guy, you know. He needs somebody to pick him up, put him on the mule, take him to the inn, get him bandaged up. You know, he needs some help. 
And so sometimes when we talk about people who are asking, there are a lot of people out there who are con people, people who want to use you to take what is yours to indulge themselves. And the principle you need to remember is this. Whenever you give to anyone or anything, you are not giving to everything else that you could be giving. You realize that? I'm telling you, we have some for sure things you can give to. And there are many people who want to give you, to have you give under compulsion, you know, people who learn all these little techniques to try and manipulate you. You know, you ever have somebody come up to you and they're breathing hard? You know why they do that? To try and get you to give under impulse. <gasps> hi, hi, my car broke down. I wonder if you could, you know, like give me 10 bucks for my fan belt. And you're just like, okay, here. Let's go, hey. Let's walk over there and look at your fan belt. No, it's okay. I don't want to inconvenience you. No. There won't be an inconvenience. No, no, I don't want to bother you. Now let's go look. Sorry, the guy walks away. Okay? You know, I mean, hey, you give the guy 10 bucks and you just con- he just cons you. Okay, there's guys like that out there. There's gals like that out there. We have to deal with them all the time here at the church. And man, they have stories and they are refined. I mean, you know, you're almost crying on the phone, you know, just, oh, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I've had people go through the church and plunder multiple people with a slick story. That's why you have to be slow. Somebody has a need, go slow. Ask questions. Investigate. Help them, sure. But don't just give to them. They need help. They need Jesus first. And they need help getting back together. And if you don't know how to do that, if you don't have the means to do that, then... Give them to a ministry that we support that does just that. It's a great way to help people. So when Jesus talks about treating others in the same way you would like them to treat you, he's talking primarily, as he's just talked about all these examples of people mistreating believers for being ungodly. He's talking about how to live the golden rule as a Christian in a world that hates you. That's the rule we need to think about. When you leave here today and you go out these doors, when you encounter needs and people and circumstances and people need something from you or want something from you, you say, hey, do I have the means? Can I give or loan? And if I do give or loan, am I willing to just leave? I count it a lost, loss and, and not expect anything if they default. You know, I'm not neglecting any other obligations. I'm not... You know, advocating stealing here. I'm not putting my family at jeopardy. Okay? I I have the means. I'm going to do that. Jesus says, give, give to those kind of people who have needs like that. Because in that society, there was no welfare system. The welfare system was the people. So anyways, as we look at here, as we go down through the text, I just want you to keep the golden rule in mind because it's a great rule. It's going to apply to the whole thing here. Treat other people in the same way you would have them treat you. If you were on the street and you were a druggie, would you want them to just give you money for more drugs or would you want them to help you be a responsible citizen, get a job and learn to support yourself and be gracious to others? Well, obviously. So you do that to somebody else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we learned in this text. What a great passage just about helping those who ask of us. And Father, I know that in our country... Being a welfare state, we have many programs and many things that will help people who are in need. But what we don't have is a lot of people who give people the spiritual help they need. And so I just pray that each of us would be diligent to help those who have need and, Father, to support ministries to help those who are in need, to pray, to volunteer, to give. And, Father, that we, in doing that, would give you glory and honor and represent you in a godly way to a world that is so desperately lost so that we might have a witness that would give you glory and honor and bring blessing to you and to others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.